Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from former Carnival film and television exec Jessica Pope about her new role at Swedish production company Mopar Studios and Alankrita Srivastava, writer and director of Netflix Indian drama Bombay Begums. Jessica Pope joined Stockholm-based Mopar Studios at the start of February as creative director and head of development. She was previously exec producer at Downton Abbey maker Carnival Film and Television and before that held senior posts at the BBC and Channel 4. Mopar has since lined up UK writers Roland Moore and Brendan Foley to develop scripts for its drama Slate and Pope spoke to Michael Pickard about taking on her new role and her mission to develop English language series with a Scandinavian sensibility capable of travelling the world. I'm Jessica Pope. I work as the creative director for Mopar Studios, which is a Stockholm-based Swedish production company. It's a fairly new job. I started on February the 1st. You know, Mopar sort of came and started talking to me just before Christmas, and it wasn't an area of drama I'd worked in at all, European drama. I'd actually spent most of my career working for the British broadcasters. I'd worked for Channel 4. Back in the early days, I'd worked for ITV and latterly for the BBC for quite some years. And it hadn't been an area that I'd really even considered. But once they started talking, it really appealed to me. And I suddenly thought, you know, with all the experience I've got and with their starting out as a relatively new indie, it felt like a sort of different sort of opportunity that I really wanted to sort of make the most of. And, you know, something that I feel I could genuinely sort of bring ideas and hopefully talent to their table and they could sort of offer me a new market and a new sort of area that I didn't know very much about, new relationships with uh, European content providers. So it just felt something fresh that I could get involved in. And and yeah, as you mentioned, you know, the, the European drama boom, as viewers, we're seeing so much more content now from, from the continent and um, it's really, you know, viewers are really fascinated by so many different shows from so many different countries. What has that been like for you as a producer? looking at that maybe from from the other side of the business and and obviously caused yeah. you to think you wanted to to get involved. Well, I've always been a, a huge viewer of European drama, you know, for a very long time and I think especially in the last decade, you know, I think the very first drama that made a, a big hit in the sort of UK market was probably The Killing um with Sophie Grubble and then we had The Bridge and we had Borgen and you know that was followed by other sort of dramas coming out of Germany like, you know, Deutschland 83. And now we've moved into, you know, a really interesting territory where you've got Tehran and Fowder and Lupin, you know, it doesn't seem to be that unusual anymore, which it certainly was for the sort of majority of my early career. And I think maybe that's because there's a sort of less anxious approach to watching subtitles or listening to people speak foreign languages on television. That's probably partly to do with the uh, the global nature of television now, certainly um, the film industry, but also social media, I think, has connected people via YouTube, via all those other platforms in a way that really weren't available even 10 years ago. So, you know, that there does seem to be a greater appetite for, but also a greater acceptance of, of global stories, different languages, different cultures. And that was something that I, as I said, always keyed into. I lived in Berlin for a little while when I was younger and uh, I loved it, you know, and I, I think I was always wanting to tell stories that had a little bit more scope 
a little bit more geographical breadth. When I began in the sort of 90s in my career in television, it was very, very domestic. You know, I, I think there was a fear that the minute you sort of crossed the channel and went anywhere other than the UK, viewers would turn off. And, and that was probably true for, for a little while. Um, I made a drama for the BBC in the sort of early noughties, which was set in um, Russia. We filmed it in Latvia and Moscow. It was an adaptation of a Robert Harris book called Archangel. And it was a very difficult process in many ways. We cast Russian actors and we had a smattering of subtitles throughout the piece. And I remember getting into quite a lot of trouble at the BBC <laughs> because they thought we were being irresponsible. They just didn't feel that a BBC mainstream audience would um, want or like subtitles in their sort of storytelling. And they were probably right. In fact, they were right at that point in time. But, you know, uh, uh, for, from a personal taste um, and viewpoint, I, I, I was happy with it. You know, I would have gone out like that. So, you know, I, I love um, open boundaries, I suppose, open borders. I think, you know, in terms of storytelling, you don't want to set yourself limits. You don't want to sort of feel that there's somewhere you can't go. And I mean that both emotionally and geographically. And I think that once you allow writers to be expansive and to, I suppose, deliver their ideas across different cultures and different characters, it just makes for richer drama. And that's not to say there isn't value in the specific or in the very sort of particular. And there's some English dramas that are tiny, really small stories, but they have a universal emotional content. But I also think there are stories that are universally appreciated, especially in genre. I think you know, the thing that television does really well, and I suppose that's where the Scandi dramas started, was in the thriller mystery space. If it's difficult to come to a new language, then I think that path is made easier by rolling out a story structure that we understand Understand a who done it or what's going on, you know, a mystery of some sort. And certainly a lot of the, the sort of dramas that have come out of Europe recently have been in genre, which is a very you know popular form for most audiences. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's all true. And it's I think it's great that obviously we're watching so much more drama now from other countries. But I guess conversely to that, your kind of appointment at, you know, at Mopar uh, is kind of as a signal to lead um, its global ambitions and, and, you know, with a view to maybe more English language dramas. So can you sort of tell us a bit more about, um, I guess, your role at Mopar and, and how you're going to be spearheading that sort of global um you know rollout plan with co-production yeah, partners. So, I mean Mopar definitely felt that the um the sort of Scandi dramas and most Nordic dramas in their own language were you know very well received a very popular genre all of their own now so Scandi Noir so they they don't want to go into that space and as you say you know I'm on board really to develop English language dramas with them and I, I think primarily what that really means is that they want to introduce English talent to the Nordic audience and to the wider European audience. So in a way that, you know, over the last decade or so, we've seen a huge amount of English writers go and work in America, for example, um, and a few working in Europe. There are quite a few English writers on shows like Dust Boat, for example. Uh, I think they felt that there was still a huge untapped resource, if you like, in the UK market, particularly with writers, but also with actors and producers producers and directors that they would love to introduce to their Nordic market. So that was why they sort of approached me. And you know, I suppose my first job is to facilitate those relationships to, to bring British talent to Mopar, to start to develop stories with them that have a British content, but also have a European content. So everything we're developing is conceived as being in the English language predominantly, although we could and will have some other language in there if that's uh, needed. But I think that definitely international talent, acting talent, 
and uh, directing talent is also on the cards. And it, it's not just to be to do it for its own sake. It's to do it as a genuine way of joining up into a more inclusive, wider landscape of storytelling that appeals to all of us. Yeah, it's noticeable that uh, I guess one of Mopar's shows, The Last Journey of the Vikings, probably has a few things in common with one of your most recent series, The, um, the Last Kingdom. Last Kingdom. Last Kingdom was an amazing show. I loved working on it. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm not sure we'll go into period drama at Mopar simply because I think you know the expense of it is huge so definitely for the time being we're in that sort of modern contemporary space and you know there is a show in fact that goes into what we know as sort of you know recent period and by that I mean the sort of 80s and 90s but I think deep period into medieval or early British Viking history Saxon history is is not somewhere we'll be going. Um, Can you talk us a a bit about then your development process so have you got scripts um, that are kind of already in play at Mopar or are you going to be looking to, to kind of foster those relationships with writers directors and and see what new material you can can find a little bit of both I hope uh, they were just coming out of a, a production they filmed last year in Ireland uh, called Red Election and that's now in the sort of last stages of post in fact I think we're locking the final episode this week um, so that was all written and set up, and that's a, a, a really, you know, interesting thriller starring Stephen Delane and Lydia Leonard. Great cast. So that's all done, really. I'm just in on the tail end of that. And then there are a couple of ideas that are already, uh, you know, on the table with various sort of potential buyers. We're scripting two shows at the moment, which we hope we'll be able to take into production later in the year. And then, of course, there are a whole new raft of ideas that I hope I'll be bringing in too. I, I don't want to do a huge rush towards you know a huge slate of sort of 20 30 ideas I think probably the goal if anything is about eight to ten this year but they will be very precisely targeted and they will be very carefully sort of developed and managed because I think you know the more bespoke you are at the beginning in terms of how you brand your company or how you sort of um, help put them out there in the marketplace the better so you know I think for now I think Mopar's ambition is for very entertaining it's, it's a mainstream market thriller mystery genre contemporary world but with really high-end talent control you know working it and developing it uh, and I think that you know it's it's uh, it's fabulous at the moment just to have these creative conversations with Jonas and William who run Mopar and to hear their tastes to hear what they think of British drama to see the sort of stories that they lean into it's very character-led I think for me that's critical in terms of you know when I talk about making stories accessible and appealing to a wide range of audiences I think you you have to start with character I think you have to start with emotion and you know great plots of course we want those too but in a way they're the train tracks the train itself is is the character and the, the you know the stories the personal stories so it's, it is really exciting and I think it's a small team but you know they're very ambitious they're a, they're a hungry company and uh, it's just giving me a new perspective on you know something I've done all my life which is storytelling but to do it now with a, a slightly different focus and different perspective you envision that there will be uh, co-production opportunities will you be looking for partnerships in the UK or elsewhere in Scandinavia and Europe for example um, possibly yes I mean I, I don't think big co-pros are what wanted I mean certainly we're looking for you know investment and distribution partners and I think that you know in terms of joining up and possibly developing ideas with other people that's always useful development can get very expensive as you know when you start to script and most uh, SVODs do want scripts they won't look at sort of treatments and, and bibles and what have you so I, I don't know I mean I think this year is probably about consolidating our you know the Mopar company itself the Mopar drama brand 
and talking to all sorts of people, which, you know, we are already doing. We're having conversations with people in France, Germany, uh, even, even in America, interestingly enough, we've had a couple of approaches from Americans. But, you know, the most important thing I think they want me to do first is to start up those conversations with talent and to really, you know, roll out Mopar to the UK base so that they understand what we want and what we're trying to achieve. And, and you mentioned, you know, it's, um, it's I guess, it's been a tricky year. I mean, how has it been for you, I guess, at Carnival, um, you know, previously, but also now starting a new job with a, an yeah. international company, you know, having to build those relationships, get those meetings um, all on Zoom, I guess, from the comfort of your own uh, living room. How, how have you found the past year on the production side of things? I think I've had the experience most people in this industry have had, which is it, it is Zoom life, you know, 24-7. Um, I think there are advantages to that. You can be very focused. Uh, you know, you, you can get lots of breeding done. You can do lots of meetings. Um, but, you know, I, I think in truth, last year was predominantly about development, not production. You know, there was a huge draft of commissioning that took place in terms of new ideas and scripts from all of the broadcasters, all of the commissioners. You know, the question I have is how many of those will actually go through to production? You know, I think there was an element of keeping the industry going, you know, keeping writers afloat, keeping companies afloat where possible. We're still not out of that. I know some productions have started up. Um, some have started up and then had to close down again because they had a sort of COVID alert. So we're still taking really baby steps out of that. You know, they were very lucky in Ireland with, with Red Election. I think they had one COVID scare, which was for about a week, but pretty much. Um, they didn't get infect, you know, uh, affected by it. But I think it's been really tough and obviously toughest on crew. That, that's been a, a really hard experience for them. I know with Last Kingdom and travelling to Hungary and back, that became an issue. You know, suddenly having to cross borders was a nightmare. So I, I have huge respect for all the production coordinators and teams who were um, facilitating all of that. But hopefully this year will be different. How How quickly it changes, who knows? I think we've all got some hope that we'll be producing and making drama from the summer onwards that seems to be a sort of a hope or an anticipation and in the meantime we're carrying on with scripts and talking to writers and and there are lots of writers who who want to have these conversations um who want to start sort of thinking of ideas that can take them outside of the UK so yeah we have lots of meetings coming up in the next few weeks and we'll see where that takes us but you know this year has been very different as you say starting a new company starting something that that's, you know, growing as opposed to established like Carnival. And that's a, a, a different vibe, but that's exciting too. You know, I think it probably is a time for people to, to say, you know, if there's something I haven't tried yet or a sort of way of making stories that is new to me, let's let's have a look at that. Let's explore it. Good. I have dual nationality anyway. I, I'm still a European because I have an Irish passport as well as a British one. So <laughs> I'm lucky. Pandemic aside, I mean, you know, the industry is so global now. Where do you see the opportunities and where do you see the challenges that you know Mopar will kind of have to tackle or take advantage of over you know the next 12 months yeah I, I think it is a hugely global industry now I think we're comfortable a, across you know all of the various continents I, I think for Mopar you know we were very clear from the beginning and this will stay is that we're we're in that mainstream middle market we, we can't and probably don't even want to compete with the really really expensive shows I think setting those up is a challenge in Europe I think the Americans to a degree so so far, I've cornered that market. So, you know, 
it's it's quite strategic, I suppose, for us to just go into that mid-budget, mid-range drama and make that our brand, really. You know, and I th- I think there are opportunities there still. There are lots of book adaptations we haven't yet got into um, purchasing IP, and I'm not sure if we will yet. But certainly there are stories, and there are very particular stories set in Europe that I still think not yet been told and could be really interesting to a wider audience. I mean, and, and just on that, I mean, those kind of mid-market productions, I mean, do you think they are still viable because you obviously have the tax breaks that can push production budgets up to meet those budget, uh, those tax breaks. And then you have the other end of the scale, the low budget series. So is there is there still room to operate in that middle ground where um, you're not quite hitting the tax breaks and therefore it's it might be actually more expensive to, to get a production off the ground? Yeah, we will be hitting some of the tax breaks. But I think, as you say, in that middle ground, I think, I think also we want to be quite fleet of foot. You know, we want to be producing drama, you know, at least one a year, two, two if we're lucky. I think a lot of those shows can take five or six years to, to stand up. You know, when we did Musketeers, um, the three seasons that I did at the BBC, that was a five, six year journey from development to completion. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It was an amazing experience. But I think Mopar as a small company need to be slightly faster than that and, and more nimble. And I do think, you know, there are always audiences for, you know, long form, returnable mainstream dramas that, uh, that I think they sort of sit in a special place in all of our cultures. You know, they're the sort of bedrock of television, really. And yes, you get the huge marquee shows that we all want to watch. And then you get the soaps, which are probably on the other end. But I would say that that middle drama is, is really the bulk of what we watch. Jessica Pope. To mark International Women's Day earlier this month, Netflix released six-part Indian drama Bombay Begums, which charts the personal and professional lives of five women experiencing age, wealth and class divides in modern-day Mumbai. Writer and director Alankrita Srivastava spoke to Michael Pickard about why the expansion of working women in India and the multiple pressures they face inspired her to create a local story with global appeal. Uh, Bombay Begums is essentially the story of five women of you know different age groups. Um, they're all living in Bombay. And um, it's basically a story of female ambition because four of the characters are working women in Bombay. Three of them work in the same bank. One is a bar dancer. But essentially it's about the conflict in their lives between the personal and the professional. It's an exploration of ambition. It's also an exploration of what it means to be a woman and, you know, how like the body is always a factor in a woman's working life. Uh, So all of them have very interesting relationships with their own bodies. The youngest character, of course, is she's, uh, you know, 13. So she's not a working girl like that, but she kind of reflects on what's going on with all the others. And she has her own, like her own story and her own angst. So yeah, that's essentially what it, what what it's about. It's like, like digging deeper into what it means to be an urban woman working woman in a metropolitan city in India. And, and we see, I guess, the story plays out with, um, you know, five women, they're different ages, different kind of have different statuses, different roles. What was it that you, I guess, particularly wanted to to speak about in terms of women in society? Or how did you want these different storylines to kind of come together to, to speak, you know, maybe a common truth that they all experience? 
experience? You know, I was very interested in what was happening to um, a lot of women joining the corporate workforce in India once the economy opened up, which was a couple of decades ago. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of pressure on women to excel at the workplace, uh, but it hasn't taken away the pressure of, you know, being perfect at home, like the perfect wives, mothers, daughters, whatever it is. So I just, and there's always this balancing act that women are supposed to do, which men are never kind of expected to do. And what that does, you know, to a woman's inner life. I think that's something that I was very interested in exploring. Also to see, uh, you know, in India, it's one of the few countries where women have done quite well in the banking uh, business. Many women have headed banks and things, which is the reason that, I, you know, I, I decided to put uh, all these characters um, in a bank. So I wanted to actually just dig deeper into that, that, you know, what is it like when you enter the workforce, which is Aisha's character, uh, you know, so she's like, like an entry level person and she's negotiating her way in the city, you know, trying to figure out where she should live who she is trying to figure out her sexuality uh, and then there's you know somebody who's already like been working for like the last 10-15 years and she's kind of like a mid-career going towards the top that's Fatima's character and she's very much you know what you would think is a very hard and ambitious kind of person and typically in India you know they're constantly like oh she's this bitchy boss kind of a person I wanted to break that kind of stereotype because she may be hard on the outside but she's actually quite vulnerable on the inside and then Rani's character, you know, who's the uh, the CEO. And typically you see like these CEOs of corporate companies in India, you know, they're very soft demeanor on the outside, very gentle and they speak very politely and dig a little deeper. And it's like they've got like a spine of steel. But then, of course, when you dig deeper, peel off another layer, there's also a lot of vulnerability and baggage that they're carrying because when they entered the industry, there were hardly any women there. So I also wanted to look at that graph of how you are when you enter a space where they're hardly any men so you're the only person in the room only woman in the room then when it's opened up a bit more and now like there are lots of women working so it's that was how I wanted to graph those three characters and then of course the youngest character is the stepdaughter of the oldest character of Rani and she's kind of like so her juxtaposition of you know at the stage of hitting puberty and Rani's on the verge of hitting menopause I thought was like an interesting thing and Lily's character was the last character I conceived of I wanted to break this very sanitized upper middle class world with like you know a jolt of color and reality from another world and also that would give us a way to reflect on the choices they make which is why then I introduced uh, Lily's character who's a bar dancer and a sex worker yeah so through the lives of these women I guess to really understand ambition to understand um, really what they want and uh, I think like it's, it's a, a bit like a slice of life also you know looking at like a small period in their uh, lives and I mean just in the, the Netflix kind of um, previews of the of the show they describe you know these characters breaking the societal shackles of of life in in Mumbai I mean would you describe the show is it is it very kind of realistic is it kind of gritty in terms of the experiences these women face are very true to real life or would you describe it perhaps as a bit more aspirational in terms of these other women you know trying to lead forward and and you know showing what might be possible I think it's a bit of a, a mixture because definitely I feel it's very real and the experiences are quite true to life I feel for women who work in this uh, sector it's just that because their lives are looked at candidly uh, you know without trying to whitewash over aspects of their lives it might feel like that's the reason is breaking societal norms you know actually it's just like when you look at a person's life without filters and you know truthfully no one's life is that simple and I feel no woman is like 
that ramrod straight in terms of the moral compass in terms of how society you know has, has prescribed like a sort of moral coding for women so i think these characters of course don't follow that they're free in that sense and of course they're also very conflicted because they make choices which sometimes they know are not correct that they make choices that that they know might hurt themselves and hurt other people that they love so i think the idea is just to see these women you know as they are and who they who they are i feel it's very real i don't think it's that gritty i think it's very real and i don't particularly see it as so aspirational per se i just feel it's just more like a more candid and a much more intimate look at their lives i think what happens often in the indian context is all, there's always this distance between the telling of the story and you know the intimacy of the character and i think i like to just be more intimate with the characters so you really see their lives as a whole and therefore i feel for in for me the subtext of the body is something very important in the show because each person is you know like lily's character who's the bar dancer is kind of she's selling her body for work aisha's character is kind of sort figuring out her sexuality rani's character is you know going through men- like is, is on the verge of menopause and and uh, fatima you know is finding that she can't produce children and she's very angry with her body shy the youngest one is on, you know is, is on the verge of puberty so they all have interesting relationships with their bodies which sort of comes out in the drawings that um shy makes so for me that's an interesting element because i feel for women no matter what decision you're taking somehow the body always becomes a factor you know are you pregnant are you not pregnant or uh, should you be losing weight like so i wanted to weave that element in as well and obviously uh, you know the show's launching on netflix so i mean can you tell us a bit about i guess how that relationship came to be how you pitched the show maybe to them and and what it's been like developing the show it's been very exciting uh, i've actually had this idea for a really long time uh, i think i first thought of it in 2013 or something and uh, uh, i was in la i think in 2017 and my agent pitched the show to churnin who are the producers churnin entertainment and uh, uh, because they wanted to do a show with me and i was like i don't i don't think i have any idea and then suddenly my agent remember that i had this because it was already a little developed and so then uh, i was developing the show with them and in the meantime uh, netflix had contacted me because they were you know expanding in india and they wanted to do something with me and then they spoke to churnin and somehow it all happened and uh, uh, it became a netflix show and uh, and and netflix has been like a really great partner because you know in india it's hard to uh, sort of um, tell strong female led stories it becomes very difficult finding financing and then finding distribution and all of that so i think uh, i i feel very fortunate that uh, you know netflix came on board and you know and, and we could just sort of uh, start the show and also i think uh, i've had great executives working on the show from uh, you know whether it was with churnin it was from netflix so i think like have and having like a lot of female uh, executives working on the show with me i think has been great because i think they really have backed me and understood my decisions and um, and really helped um, you know shape the show so uh, i think uh, it's it, it's been great and I, it's literally we've only had women working on the show so it's really been very interesting like that and i mean it's very much your show isn't it because you you created it yeah you're the writer you direct with one other person but you're the director you know the the lead director um i mean what's that like for you um i guess do you have a kind of your writer's hat on and then and then at some point you become the director what's your kind of your own creative process like you know uh, mostly i've always uh, written 
the material like I, I I've always directed the material that I've written myself mostly I've never really worked off material that somebody else has written or created so I think it, it comes naturally to me and I think with me there's not so much separation I feel because I write so in this case you know because I've written like I had thought of it it was my idea I'd created it so I think show running was really easy because uh, you know instinctively you know uh, what it is and as even directing so you kind of know uh, everything and I think I had lived with the characters for a long time so I think instinctively I kind of knew who they would be and all of that and I think it really helped that I had a very um, detailed bible uh, which I had developed earlier is you know itself so it was a very very comprehensive document so by the time we actually got to writing the screenplays we all you know everything was already sort of there so I think um, that worked out really well and for me a filmmaking is a very personal kind of like process so I do feel that I'm uh, you know I get like I feel like my, my material really does come from a more, from a very very personal space so I think uh, that's the same for uh, Bombay Begums but I think I was really hel- I mean I think it was very helpful I'd, I had worked on another series before for which I had written uh, the entire season and I had directed two episodes so I think um, uh, that was Made in Heaven for uh, Amazon Prime and I think because I had done that series I think doing this one was you know, I'd already done though I wasn't I wasn't the creator or showrunner but because I'd written for it and I had directed for it I think I had that experience because series is relatively new uh, you know in India it's only the last few years that this format has sort of taken off in India I mean yeah how have Netflix and Amazon maybe shaped the way you know TV in India is is kind of turning is there a big shift towards series maybe or how are you kind of seeing the industry change from you know from your inside point of view I think it's a huge change I mean it's just I think what's happening now we couldn't have envisaged five years ago there's a huge shift because you know India had like theatrical films which were mainstream and then of course a few independent films which were always struggling for distribution etc and then there was television and television in India had a totally has a totally different grammar so actually people who are really making films are never really making television because it's just totally different and and there was no space in between and you know like with with films it's been very hard to like um, you know uh, getting your film released basically you could make it but then to get it released and that the whole network of the exhibitors and distributors so there's very little space for more alternative kind of voices so I think what streaming has done is it's just opened up the space a lot and I think because streaming has opened up this space what's happening now I feel is also films will start you know are, are sort of changing so one hopes that overall there's going to be like a um, you know a big shift already I, I feel like there's so many more interesting stories being told because of uh, you know the streaming platforms which are not being told earlier and also independent films were really struggling you know like like how does that film become financial financially viable etc so I think uh, having these streaming platforms is also big support actually for independent cinema considering the current global crisis we're facing I mean was the production affected by COVID in any way uh, you know filming or post-production you know uh, we were so fortunate we just finished filming in the first week of March last year so we just wrapped uh, just as COVID struck in the world went into uh, lockdown but the entire post edit uh, the 
edit and post production was a very uh, it was very surreal and very lonely also because um, uh, everything was done remotely so it was just me and my screen really and my editor and me were working on a you know work, working remotely as well so it was a very it took very long for me the edit and post production because you know we were just doing everything remotely and it was all so uh, new but i i didn't go go into any studio for the post production of the show which is so strange otherwise so everything like whether it was the color grading it was sound mixing it was like everything has been done literally uh, with me and my laptop and just like listening to you know like everyone like it, it's just been done uh, uh, completely remotely so it's been quite an interesting uh, experience it's obviously a show that you've cared about a lot over several years i mean why was this a show a story that you felt passionate about and and what do you hope viewers around the world will kind of enjoy about it when they get to watch it um you know i guess i'm very passionate about telling women's stories and particularly this one i think because the urban indian working woman i feel is a story not told yet enough I, I, she's really not been explored enough and um, you know my mother she uh, went to one a, a really premier uh, business management institute and she told me that in her batch there were only four women and there were about 80 men and none of the four women actually pursued their careers uh, in the corporate world i mean they all worked but they were all doing different things and i think that was the one thing that really led me to uh making the show that you know that, that conversation just stayed with me and i do feel and that's why i feel like i hope that working women in india find themselves represented through this show because otherwise you know we always tend to show uh, indian women on screen like their main purpose is to just fall in love or to just be happily married so i just feel like for me if you know people can find like pieces of themselves pieces of their journey something reflected in uh the story of these five women i'll I, i'll be really happy and i do think that it's nice to see stories where you just see in you know to break the stereotype of 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 indian women and you just see them like regular you know uh women across the world who are working and have you know work issues to deal with on a day to day basis along with everything else that goes on in their personal lives so yeah i hope people from across the world can you know connect to these uh, universal themes even though the story is localized within bombay Alankrita Shrivastava speaking to Michael Pickard. That's all for this episode, but there'll be more from the podcast next week. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. Listening.